Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for Church Online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and, and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Good morning, rest church! I just uh, want to pause here for a moment, and I want to just recognize some folks. I want to say thank you to the incredible um, worship and tech team. Um, and, and I want to tell you why. There was a season in the history of Rest Church when um, the pastor team, if we weren't actually on stage, we were back there frantically trying to keep it all together. Um, running computers, oh, Ted's like, the computer's broke, and we're in there trying to fix ProPresenter, or we're running the sound, or we're doing this, that, and the other, and this morning, which hardly ever, 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 ever do the stars align, Molly and I got to stand together and worship. So thank you to the folks who are faithfully serving, and I believe that the haze machine is full blast wide open. Do I need to go unplug it? <laughs> I feel like it's getting like crazy up here. Anyways, um, I just, I want to recognize those folks because our community, our church only is as strong as we are together. There is, there is no one who stands on this pulpit who's more important than the folks who serve. And what seemingly you think might be ancillary, I can guarantee you if those kids who were in that downstairs room and those upstairs rooms were in here, it wouldn't matter what I was saying because none of you would hear it. Amen. So thank you to those folks. As we kind of come to um, the very, 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 very end of this book in 2 Timothy, as we finish the fight, I kind of want to recap a little bit of what A.B. talked about last week. Last week in specific, um, we looked at... Um, Chapter 4, 2 Timothy, verses 6 and 8. And A.B. kind of walked us through these three stages. Say three. Three stages of Paul's past, I mean, Paul's life. We looked at the present where Paul was at. He's in a, he's in a prison cell right now, right? He's under affliction. He is being, um, he is being tried uh, against Rome for crimes against Caesar. And in particular, the, 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 this time that he's in imprisonment, the, the, the Caesar of the day is Nero. If you've not heard me talk about Nero, he wasn't very nice to Christians. In fact, as I said to 
Um, folks, during the, the Mark sermon series, when we talked about uh, Nero in particular, Nero would actually throw parties. And at his mansion where he would throw parties, he would um, put Christians on a stake, literally. Imagine that in your head. Then he would tar them and light them on fire and use them as the candles that would light his parties. So that's his um, thought process of how he loved Christians or loathed them more or less. And so what we see is that he, Paul, is currently in prison um, and he is going to be convicted subsequently later after this book by Nero to be put to death um, by beheadment. And so he's in a prison, that's his present. And then he looks back at his past. He looks at all the wonderful things that have happened in ministry, where he's seen churches come to have revival, where he's seen people like Titus, like Timothy, who have come to this place of maturity to begin to follow Jesus and not just follow Jesus, but to take others with them and pastor and to shepherd their flocks, to have real life um, change in their communities. Pagan communities have now turned to Christ Jesus as Lord. And then we look to the future state. And the future state where he looks at where he will receive the crown of life when he meets Jesus, when he crosses over that Jordan River, when he crosses over from death into life of, of this mortal body and he takes off this corruptible and he puts on immortality. He says that it is there that he will meet and stand face to face with Jesus. And Jesus will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he will bestow upon him the crown of life. And so last week we, we looked at that and, and what we see is that Paul is screaming. He is saying to us, as A.B. said last week, is that we need to run the race and we need to run it well, but not just that, we need to finish well. Say finish well. And so this week we're gonna piggyback off of that theme and we're gonna continue on and we're gonna be in chapter four and we're gonna read um, uh, verses nine through um, 15, verses 9 through 15. So church, let's open up our scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 15. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Croesus has gone to Galatia, Titus, Talmeda. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposes our message. Church, let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning, that Lord, as we kind of look at these folks and their lives, that Lord, that, that we use it kind of as a litmus test. We use it as a measuring stick for ourselves. That Lord, that you would open up our eyes, that you would illuminate us, that we would be truthful and honest with ourselves about our own spiritual condition, the condition of our heart, that we would, that we would have clarity of mind, and that, that, Lord, that we would repent of our sins, and that we would run to you and we would cling to you, the giver of life. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are, we're in Paul's final words, and there's two things that it's clear in chapter four that Paul has at the top of his mind. These two things, number one is Jesus, clearly Jesus. He cannot wait to see Jesus. It is so clear in his present circumstances that he is like, I can't wait to be home with my Savior. Maybe there's some of you who are here today and you are getting the heck beat out of you in life, and you're like, I can't wait to be home with Jesus. Amen? Then the second thing is relationship. Paul is clearly thinking about relationships here in the earthly body. See, when we think about the apostles, we often think of them more like the Mandalorian. Right, We think of them as if this music is playing when we think of the apostles. And here I go again on my own Going down the only road I've ever known right? We think of Paul kind of like a drifter I was born to walk they're making it themselves, but that's, that's not really how it is. When we think of celebrity pastors, we think, oh man, look at how successful they are. But what we don't see is behind kind of the pinnacle of the charge, behind the pinnacle of the movement, there is this mountainous mount of people who are making it happen. And the same is true in the life of the apostles. That's why Paul has the top of his mind human relationships here in this passage is because Paul knows that his life is not just sharing the gospel, but it is the folks in which he has imparted the gospel. That's why we see in this particular book in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see that he says, I was delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well, because gospel work is not just gospel teaching, but it's imparting life so that the gospel ministry continues on. It's creating that life cycle. And so more or less, when we think about Paul, probably more correctly, we should think of him more like Woody. Right? You've got a friend in should be more like this. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice See, because warm there's bed. deep relationships. You just remember God. what your old past is. There's you. deep relationships. When you look into the life of the Apostle Paul, Paul has spent hours, weeks, years of his life imparting wisdom loving and nurturing and seeing the lost come to know Jesus. And that's why in this moment, in this dark prison cell, relationships are at the top of his mind. And, and in this particular passage we just read, Paul mentions nine individuals, nine, both friends and foes. Some were faithful, some were unfaithful, some started out well but deserted the work. Others started poorly, but now in this new season of life, they're now exemplary. As we survey the individuals mentioned, we might ask ourselves objectively, where do I fit on this list? 
Where probably aligns with me and my current spiritual journey? Where might I find myself? Who is more akin to me? And to help us frame the context of today's message, I've I've kind of made a chart. I've I've made it my own. I've stole the idea from someone else. And we're going to assign to each of them kind of a a pre-test or how they started in the work and a post-test where they finish the work, according to Paul, in this current time where Paul's writing in the Roman prison. And for each each time, each season, we're going to give them either a positive or a negative, either an A or an F. And so you see this list of nine names, and we're going to quickly just surmise each one of them. Timothy, right off the top, we see that Timothy is the faithful son of the Apostle Paul. Paul has spent a great deal of time and a great deal of affection upon Timothy, which is the keen reason why he writes two epistles to him. is because he's encouraging Timothy as Timothy takes this bold step in his life to be the pastor of probably the single most authoritative, biggest church in the early church at Ephesus. And he, he, he takes and he assumes this role under the leadership of Paul, Timothy. Timothy passed both the pre and the post test, according to Paul. He's faithful in the beginning And he's faithful at the end. He is steady. Those are the kind of people we want in our life, right? Not not this, not this, just steady. Folks that we know what we're going to get. And so we assign a grade to Timothy both, according to Paul, positive, positive. Demas. If you want to throw that chart up for me, keep that up there. While people can be wonderful sources of joy... They can also be tremendous discouragement, right? Demas fits that bill perfectly. Paul says, he has deserted me. He has has left me. The word deserted in particular, it's a strong verb, meaning utterly abandoned, to leave someone helpless in a dire situation. Utterly abandoned to leave someone helpless in a dire situation. Demas has left Paul alone in the dungeon. Demas has left him from the gospel work. And and, and, and his desertion has brought pain to Paul because it's just like the treachery of a friend. You've been wronged by a friend before, a friend who you thought loved you deeply, a friend who you thought cared about you, but only subsequently later to find out that that particular person cared more about themselves, more about their wants, their desires, than they ever did about you actually. And that, that, that pain is a searing pain, right? That pain, is it, it hurts deeply. And that's what we see here from, from Paul because as we look back at the other passages when talking about Demas, we see that he He's quoted in Colossians 4.14 as being a co-worker alongside Paul. Or in Philemon 24, he is a steady hand. In both passages, Demas' name is with Luke. Demas has a positive. But sadly, we see here a negative attributed to his name. As to why he deserted Paul. As to why he left it. Paul doesn't say, but 
what Paul does say, if we look at the text, he says, because he loved the present world. It's hard to tell exactly what this means since the details are not given. But what we know is that he had misplaced affections. That's easy for us to do, right? Every day, I don't know about you, but man, I can speak for me. Every single day, I have to make the conscious decision to not have misplaced affections. Every day, I have to wake up and say, I got to put myself back on that cross. I got to kill Cody because what Cody loves to do is sin. What Cody loves to do is what Cody wants to do and which is my flesh. And like the scriptures say, like a dog returns to its vomit. That's what I want to do. Even though you, you, you might say, but pastor, how could you have that desire? You're a pastor. Because I'm still a sin-filled, flawed man who loves myself above all things. And I have to die to that. And that's what we see here about Demas. Is Demas has this, he has this misplaced affections. It's crazy to think about it, but a guy could spend so much time with Paul to later desert the faith. I mean, you could almost say he's very similar to that of Judas. I mean, Demas, is, he's not just hanging around Bible studies, man. Demas is sitting with the guy who wrote the book. And so when we see folks who are like shooting stars in our gospel communities, we see folks rise up and they show great promise and they, they show great courage and they later fall out, we should not be surprised that will happen. Even folks who have been influenced by great leaders, even folks who have been in the center of gospel-centered movements, they will at times fall out. Demas should serve as a warning to all Christians, all of us at all times. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Whoever thinks he stands, must be careful not to fall. Then we see three other men, Crescens, Titus, and Tychus. While Demas' desertion hurt Paul, three other departures seem to have been well-received. In fact, we believe, the scholars believe that, that they were actually sent out by Paul. Right? This is, this is the, the joy of every pastor, is to raise up folks who, are, who feel called to do gospel work and then get to send them out and watch them set the world on blaze with the gospel. And that's what we see here with these three particular men. They have received Paul's blessing to go out into the world. Crescens and Titus appear to have been sent out on mission. Crescens to Galatia, Titus... Um, to uh, Dalmata, Paul is found a fond of Titus, calling him my true son, and speaks of him as exemplary friend and a gospel partner. Titus brought comfort to Paul and others. Tychus is also being seen as a positive, positive, demonstrating consistent life of faithfulness. He was a loyal bearer of the letter to the church at Colossian, and to the church at Ephesus. Because of these three faithful men were sent out, it increased Paul's needs for Timothy's companionship. 
right? So he sends them out and he says, I'm alone. I need you, Timothy, to come to me. And so we read this early on in chapter four. Is that Timothy, he writes to Timothy, he says, don't delay, come quickly, come be with me. Because Paul knew his, his time was drawing to an end and he had just commissioned these missionaries to go out and to do the work. Then we see Luke. Luke was definitely a positive, positive. Paul says in Colossians of Luke, the dearly loved physician. He was a loyal friend, a companion to Paul. He stands in contrast to Demas. Luke was a tough friend for tough times and tough places. He sat with Paul in both of his imprisonments. Not only did he sit with Paul in both of his imprisonments, but he encouraged Paul. He was the biographer to Paul's life. And that's why every time we see the word we in Acts, what it's saying is that Luke and Paul were together. Luke and Paul are together. They're the thickest of friends. They are together all the time in the most difficult of times. And that's where we get the beautiful gospel of Luke from. It's from this position. Luke is definitely a positive, positive. The next person I want to bring out of these nine men, somebody I want to sit down and I want to talk about for a little bit longer. Mark. Or as we as a church found for three years, also called what? Come on, say it like you heard it. Oh my goodness. Are we Presbyterian today? <laughs> Who wrote the gospel, Mark? Thank you, thank you. John Mark. Paul writes, bring Mark with you. For he is useful to me in ministry. Mark's story is encouraging. He started out with many incredible privileges and opportunities. I want you to think about this. His mom's home was the epicenter of the early church. The Jerusalem church, the base in Jerusalem, started in John Mark's house. What kind of pedigree could you want to have more than that? In fact, what we know is that when Peter was miraculously let out of prison in the middle of the night, you know where they all met and hung out together? At John Mark's house. John Mark would have spent time listening to the teachings of Jesus out of Jesus' direct mouth. And so what we, what we see here is that John Mark has an amazing pedigree. Wouldn't you say? John Mark's been hanging out with Jesus. John Mark's been hanging out with Peter. John Mark's been hanging out with the Apostle Paul. He was an eyewitness. He had assestations to Jesus' life. Some scholars believe that the night of Jesus' arrest, the little boy who runs away naked, some scholars say that they think it was actually John Mark. He was familiar with the life and the ministry of Jesus. But John Mark's life crosses the path of the Apostle Paul. During the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey, he went with him and Barnabas. But what we see is that for some reason, during that missionary journey in Acts 13, John Mark, Mark, he deserts them. He leaves the ministry. And sometime later, during the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, um, Barnabas says, hey, um, Paul, I want to take my cousin on the road with us again. 
I want him to be one of our, you know, bandmates again. Let's go, let's go do this, you know, missionary journey 2.0 for Jesus. And Paul says, I want no part of it. I don't want this coward. I don't want this deserter. I don't want this no good for nothing. Leave us high and dry. I don't want Mark to come with us. In fact, the scriptures say that their debate over this one issue was so sharp that the first church split ever known in the scriptures occurred right there. Mark, John Mark, is the reason that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas split on the missionary journey in Acts 13. They split from one another. And Paul takes Silas and, and John Mark, I mean, Barnabas takes John Mark along with him. But that's not, that's not where, where the story ends, church. That's not where the story ends. The story doesn't end at John Mark's life leaving and deserting the missionary field. No, what, what this, where the story begins is this, is that Barnabas believed, even though he had made a previous mistake, that God still had plans for him. That God still had a journey for John Mark to go on. And so what we see, we see that Paul's view of John the Mark changes drastically. It goes from being a negative to that of being a positive. Mark is restored later with Paul, <clears throat> and, and we see that in Colossians chapter 4.10. When Paul calls him a co-worker. In Philemon 24, Peter mentions John Mark by name in 1 Peter chapter 5.13, calling him his son. Here in 2 Timothy, some 20 years after their separation, Mark makes the short list of reliable friends and companions to Paul. Mark's story is the story of most of us. Amen? Has anybody ever made a mistake in here? Has anybody ever made a mistake up in here? Come on, let's act like we're, we can be honest with each other this morning. Have you ever made a mistake before? And so the story of Paul is the story of us. This, I mean, the story of John Mark is the story of us. While Mark messed up in one season of his life, that did not make him out with God. That did not mean that he was no longer fit for service to the church. That didn't mean that the church wanted to put him away forever and always. That just meant he needed to grow up a bit. Did any, do any of us need to grow up a bit in seasons in our life? I mean, there are days that I kid you not that in my 30s that I have laid in the floor and kicked and screamed like a toddler. I, I'm not even joking. Like, why is it me? There was times I needed to grow up. I needed to go through the fire in order to come out the other side better than I was before. There were times that I needed to come to grips with the fact that I'm selfish. There were times that I needed to come to grips with the fact I'm not always right. Sometimes even my bad little kids are right and I'm wrong. Right? I don't know if you agree. I'm not feeling the love from you, you Pharisees. But the truth is, is just like John Mark, there are times that we need to be restored and put back into the game. And sometimes it takes us 20 years to get there. And that's okay. 
We should take great solace in that. Mark was not only useful to Paul, but he was used by God to write the gospel of Mark. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he brings to us what is quite literally the most action-packed book of the Bible. It is like ADHD lover's dream of Jesus. It's and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. If you don't believe me, check out three years worth of sermons. They're, They're on the website. You can check it out. The Messiah restored him and he can restore us just as well. Carpus. Paul mentions Carpus in his request to Timothy. When you come, bring the cloak that I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. We're not sure why Paul left all of this stuff. He, he left the, his, his coat. He left his books. He left his Bibles. He's left all his stuff. Maybe he got arrested out of nowhere. Maybe he needed to leave. He got a house call. We're not exactly sure why Carpus needed to go. But on a moment's notice, Carpus left, or Paul had to leave Carpus's house, and he left behind all of these things that are very, very, very important to him. And now Paul's writing because he's in a Roman prison. He's in this dungeon, and guess what? It's getting cold. So why does he need his coat? Because it's cold, just as simple as that. And he doesn't just ask about his cold, but he asks about the scrolls and the parchments. See this, verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. One theologian said this, when our spirit is lonely, we need friends. When our body is cold, we need clothing. When our mind is bored, we need books. To admit that is not unspiritual, it is human. Can you throw that quote up for me? When our spirit is lonely, we need friends. Amen? When our body is cold, we need clothing. When our mind is bored, we need books. To admit that is not unspiritual. It is human. We see the humanity of Paul writing. And he knows that these valuable things are still there. Paul says, in these last days of my life, I want to sit down on the scriptures. I want you to think about that. Paul knows he faces a certain death. What does he say? I want to sit down on the scriptures. No matter how many times that we have read the scriptures, no matter how many times that we have combed over theology, no matter how much that we think we know, there is always more for us to grow. There is always more for us to hear from the word of God. And, 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 and of all people, the person who wrote most of our New Testament, we see him here saying, I want to set down in the scriptures. I want to have my mind, my heart, my soul consumed with God. I want to feel his presence from his word. It should be a testimony to us. In the later seasons of our life, we don't graduate from knowing Jesus. We don't graduate from serving Jesus. No, 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 no. There is no retirement in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? There is no retirement. No, he says, come and sit down in the scriptures. Sit down in the thick of it with Jesus. And the last of all of these folks of this list that I'm going to cover this morning is Alexander. He's an obvious opponent of Paul. 
Paul notes that he had did him great harm. He strongly opposed the work of the gospel. Many believe that, that, that Alexander is the main culprit for Paul's imprisonment this particular time. Um, he's a coppersmith. And scholars say that Alexander in particular was probably a person who made graven images, who made statues that people would worship. Because remember, during this time of Hellenization, there is, um, they're, they're, they practice polytheism. So they, they worship you know, little statues, little demigods. And, and this particular man, scholars believe that Paul was starting to cut into his prophets. As people were coming to know Jesus, as people were moving away from paganism, as people were moving to monotheism instead of polytheism, that this guy was like, hey, this dude is cutting out on my prophets. And so he goes and says he's speaking against you, Caesar. Because remember, they had to pay a tithe. They had to pay a pence to the Caesar at all time and say, Caesar is Lord. And so anyone who would say that only Jesus Christ is Lord would be committing high treason against Nero. And so scholars believe that Alexander is the reason for his, impen- uh, his, his imprisonment during this time. Paul tells Timothy two things about Alexander. First, the Lord will repay him according to his works in verse 14. And verse 15, watch out for him yourself. Let's take a step back and think through this list of names. Some of these folks were faithful. Some were unfaithful. Some were shooting stars, as I said before, started out bright and beautiful, but later faded to oblivion, faded to nothing. Others started out poorly, like John Mark, but now had exemplified faithfulness in the redemptive work of Christ that has happened in their life. Being honest with yourself today, church, I want you to be honest with yourself. As we've looked at these nine names, where would you say your particular life, who is most akin to you, who is most like you in your spiritual journey today? Are you like Alexander? Are you completely lost? Are you as lost as last year's Easter egg? Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord? Do you ascribe to him in faithfulness? Do you love him? Do you worship him? Have you ever professed him? as Lord and Savior of your life. If not, you are Alexander. Are you like Demas? Have you once been in a season of faithfulness to God? Have you been a a deacon? Have you been an elder? Have you been a Sunday school teacher? Have you been a youth pastor? been a pastor? You have served him faithfully in a season, but now you have found yourself in this situation of a backslidden state. You have found yourself where you're not as faithful as you once were. You're not down on your knees in prayer. You're not opening your Bible, understanding the scriptures. You're not in that place where you're submitting your whole heart helplessly and needless and bringing everything that you have all your needs to the feet of Jesus are you there have you walked away from Jesus are you like Mark you've made some mistakes you've done some incredibly dumb things but you know That doesn't define your future. 
Just because you've said or you've done or you've practiced dumb things, that is not where your story ends. I understand what it feels like to be in the meat grinder. I understand what it feels like not wanting to show up to life, let alone ministry. To wanting to keep the blinds shut all day to lay underneath my weighted blanket. This is why Paul is constantly reminding, constantly reminding the leaders and the church folks who he writes to in his epistles to not forsake their calling, to not neglect their calling. Sometimes all we need to do is be faithful enough to show up and let God do his thing. We as Christians, we need to learn to serve God when we don't feel like it. We need to embrace the suck of service. Because that is where God tends to do his most. Church, we need to learn to embrace the suck of service. Because that's where God shows up. Because what that means is that we show up to serve Jesus and we are empty. How many of you are like me this morning and you feel empty? You feel like, man, I, I don't have any more in the tank. Uh, Pastor, I don't have any more to pour out. How many of you feel like that? You feel like, man, life is, it, it, it's, not just, it's not just knock me down, but like I'm literally laying in the alley and it is doing this to my head. You're all shaking your head because that's so many of us because we are going, 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 going. And all we're doing is depositing, depositing, depositing. I mean, withdraw, 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 and there's no deposit. But what, but what I will say to you is that even though there's this constant withdrawal that's happening in our life, I know that when we empty ourselves, God shows up because we get out of the way. Because in those moments when we have nothing left to give, that's when we say, God, I gotta rely on you. I gotta rely on your goodness. I gotta rely on your faithfulness. I need you, Jesus. I can't do this on my own. So there is times that we need to realize that all we need to do is show up. Show up. You don't need special words. You don't need special talents. You just need to show up. God says, come to me, not with your talents. He doesn't say, come to me, all you who are talented and beautiful and have it all together. He says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. I believe that's how Mark got to where he was at. Was he woke up one day and said, I don't have to be good enough because my God already did all that he needed to do in order to ransom me and to make me good enough. I don't have to use my talents for myself. All I got to do is show up and he will equip me with the talents that will allow me to overcome whatever comes my way. We need to learn to embrace the suck of service because that is where God tends to do his most. Vance Habner has a quote. He says this, taking it easy is often the prelude to backsliding. 
Comfort precedes collapse. Comfort precedes collapse. When we are spiritually tired, when we are spiritually weak, we don't need a drink with a, with a little umbrella in it. We don't need our weighted blanket. No, we need to get in the game. We need to get in the game. We need to say, coach, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Because what I know is that, Lord, I have learned to be brought high and I've been learned to be brought low. And that in all present circumstances, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Additionally, like Mark, just because you've made a few mistakes, God's not done with you yet. Chances are, I want you to hear this. I want some of you who have made mistakes in the last few years of your life. Maybe you're coming through a season, you've made a mistake now. Your best work is ahead of you. Did you hear me? Your best work is ahead of you. It's not behind you. Think about this. John Mark, sitting in his living room, he's listening to the teachings of Jesus. He was probably thinking, this is the best. Or when he goes on missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and, and they're seeing troves of people healed of deadly diseases. They're seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord, turning their lives upside down for the better. He probably thought, this is the best yet. This is the best it's ever going to be. And then he lets his desire for the world drive him away from the work. And in that moment, he probably felt yucky and broken. He felt ashamed and guilt. That's not where his story ended. What we see is he gets on the road to restoration. And he hooks up with Barnabas again. And he begins to grow. And he hooks up with the apostle Peter. Who he sets years and years and years under the teaching of the apostle Peter. And those teachings are later the foundational work of the gospel of Mark. So you, you've messed up. Your story doesn't end there. That's not where your story ends. In fact, chances are your best work is ahead of you. But where does it begin? How, does it, how do I get there, Pastor? How do I go from that transformational moment of utter shame that Mark felt to that transformational moment where I do what God's best work for my life is? How do I get there? It begins and ends with this. Check this out. It's riveting. It is big. Dying to yourself. Dying to yourself, we often fall into sin and forsake our calling like John Mark did because we choose pleasure over the pain of self-denial. We choose pleasure over the pain of self-denial. A.W. Tozer said it like this, in every Christian's heart, you know, put this quote up for me, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. 
If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and the worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of man's soul and wear our crown with all pride of Caesar. But we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual barrenness. Even though that we have built palaces in our heart where we are the kings and the queens of our life, the Lord still stands ready to redeem us, ready to redeem us. David writes this in Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. David, a man who knows what restoration is all about, being redeemed from your sin, being redeemed from doing something absolutely heinous. This is what David writes. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Amen. Do you hear that? He, he, he says the Lord is merciful. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't pay us death for death. No, he gives us beauty for ashes. Just as Paul welcomed John Mark back after his failures, God and his church stand ready to welcome back those who have fallen out of relationship with the church and have seemingly turned their back on God. It's not how you start. It's all about how you finish. Joel Beakey said, amid the frustrations and hardships of ministry, the most Christ-like thing to do is to stay focused on your calling, give thanks to God, and go on preaching the gospel. Today, you don't feel like it. I get it. I don't either. It takes everything I have some days. to stand here. I don't feel like it. I'm tired. I'm weak. I'm worn down. But I know that somewhere in the midst of that, all I have to do is show up, put in the work. And God is faithful. There has not been one single time that I have stood in this pulpit, that the Holy Spirit hasn't shown up and shown out. And the same can be true in your life. He doesn't need your talents. He just needs you to show up. And so this morning, I want to ask you, are you a Demas or are you a Mark? Where are you finishing? Where do you stand today? Today? 